Welcome, everybody, to Podriplegics Opiate Edition number two. We are brought to you by the Arizona Spinal Cord Injury Association. That is azspinal.org. The phone number is 602-507-4209. You can call Eric at any time. Give him all your, your bitches and complaints about all the, all the cuss words I say. Well, call Eric, please. Anytime? I mean. Anytime. Three the answer is anytime. Um, oh, this podcast can be found on YouTube, can be found on Facebook at the Arizona Spinal Cord Injury Friends, can be found on Spotify, iTunes, or at azspinal.org forward slash podcast. You can uh, find us on all those, please. It would help us majorly if you just hit subscribe right underneath of you, hit add, um, leave some comments if you got any questions. Eric will be happy to answer most of them, or Don. Um, yep. Don, Eric, and myself have 100-plus years of living with a disability, and we are not medical professionals. I repeat, we are not medical professionals. That's for sure. So if you have issues, if you have medical issues, please contact your doctor or call 911 or something of the sort. Do not ask us or call us or take, or take what we say as medical information we are literally telling you our stories we are giving you some of the experiences that we have uh mature language and content may be used sorry uh don't sue us if you're gonna sue anybody sue eric not us deal with it right (laughs) and here we go today we have mr eric canning mr don price and with us a special guest mr marcos castillo marcos thank you for joining us Thank you guys for having me. All right, Marcos. Um, today we're going to be discussing multiple issues, one of those being how Marcos became disabled. We're going to kind of let him tell his story. Uh, we're going to get into some opiate stuff, um, you know, and how, he's, how he's used them effectively and or has battled uh, some sort of opiate addictions or anything of the sort. Um, he's just going to tell us his experience mostly, really. Uh, Eric, you got anything you want to add to that, to them housekeeping items? Um, please don't sue me. Okay. Um, <laughs> other, other than that, uh, I'm, I'm good to go. Uh, Marcos again, thanks for coming. Uh, I appreciate you being willing to do this on short notice. No problem at all. I'm happy to do it. So Marcos, when, I mean, maybe you can just kind of catch everybody up or, or let everybody know what, what your your disability is, how you became disabled, uh, kind of give us a little story on that. Oof, let's see. So <laughs> I've only told this story like 500 million times. So I think I got it down. Um, uh, well, I was 18. I thought I was uh, Superman. So I decided to become Superman. So I uh, fell asleep driving on the way home one night, or one morning actually, after a long night out. And um, it caught up to me. I fell asleep and crashed into a load-bearing wall and uh, was flown up here to Phoenix. Uh, Spent uh, about three or so months up here, went back to Yuma. uh, Spent about a year down there. Woke up one morning and said, you know what, I need to get out of here. And uh, came up here, and I was 17, 18 years ago. 
Yeah. So you got you fell asleep driving too? That's how I got my accident. Is I fell asleep driving. Yeah, well, you know what's crazy is I'm an insomniac. So, Me too. Yeah. Really? Normally. <laughs> yeah. So when you're behind the wheel, I picked the wrong time. I pick. I I cannot nap if you paid me. Really? Yeah. yeah I am. I am. I. I. I and if I do end up falling asleep like a nap, I, I wake up feeling way worse. Oh, see, if you just say nap to me, I start nodding yes. off right away, man. I'm just like, yeah. yeah, I, I, I am jealous of people like that. So, Marcos, where's your entry levels at C? Oh, yeah, so C four through seven. So, for non uh, spinal cord injury people, one level more up, and I'd be on a ventilator. Well, so uh, I, yeah, I, I think I, Don, you're a C five, right? C5, complete injury from a diving accident. Yeah, I'm, a C, I'm a C5, incomplete. Yeah, uh, T12, I believe, incomplete. So, Are you complete or incomplete, Marcos? I am incomplete. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually a little off because I feel like my right side is like a C5, my left side's like a C4 um, because I can use my – I can do this with this hand. And not with the other. So right. it's not even. Yeah. I can relate. Um, my legs are the same way. Like one leg works better than the other. Yeah. 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 One leg will have spasms all the time and the other leg will not, but it'll work. So, yeah. So yeah. do you have, do you have chronic, chronic pain, Marcos, like nerve pains or anything of the sort? Yeah. So um, for a, uh, so I'm, I'm going on 19 years post-injury, um, and for about the first 16 or so years, it was all, you know, bone and muscle pain, just, you know, regular old good wear and tear. Um, and about four years ago, something different started happening to my body, and I, I was actually, I've lost about a quarter of my body weight because of it, um, and I was diagnosed with a rare autoimmune disease and it's a demyelating polyneuropathy so now i have neuropathic pain on top of it also oh wow at least you don't have a quad belly <laughs> yeah well now i got quad arms which i didn't have before oh really yeah I, uh, I was all i was very lucky that i was able to keep um the integrity of my weight uh for such a long time and i've i'm the only person that you'll ever meet that never uh, bitched about their weight. I love being fat. I love, you know, going out to eat and the, the country of it. Yeah. Um, I, I miss fat Marcos. I really do. <laughs> what is so, your, what's your favorite food? Uh, see, I, and then I always tell people, um, asking me what my favorite food is, is like asking me which one of my children I love the most. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, I, I have a I have a I have a type right I, if it if it comes with these little round things that I can use as spoons and then I can eat the little round things that's my type of food so if it comes with tortillas I'm golden yeah. right. I mean obviously my kids are like man we eat tacos all the time and I was like Cause we're Mexican. It's our. It's, it's, it's what we eat at home. That's you know. It's, it's 
it's our it's our day-to-day food so when i get asked that question it's, it's obviously biased but what i eat the most is mexican food nice so what yeah. you said with the auto oh, go ahead dan you can go ahead. Oh, i was just going to mention that your family has mexican restaurant right in yuma oh or- yeah yeah, and uh, my cousin has one in Yuma now. Uh, the The restaurant's been in Mexico. I think we're going on like seventy years now. So, wow! Yeah, it, uh, that's crazy. Oh, yeah, the the ta- the restaurant's older than the town's been established. <laughs> yeah, and if you guys ever wonder why I'm so comfortable around, you know, people from the shadows, those are the people I grew up around. So the restaurant is actually located in the uh, red light district. So, you know, camps and prostitutes and addicts and all that stuff. We got to go visit this restaurant. Oh, yeah. And everything else. <laughs> you know, Don went, Don's in. <laughs> We're road trip. Yeah. Well, that's what was on the plan for this year before, you know, before shit hit the fan. <laughs> yeah. So you 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 said you had an autoimmune disorder. I mean, how, what about that causes you like to lose weight? I mean, I'm not very familiar with that. So well, it's so uh, I think I think people will recognize it more um, through it's it's the chronic version of Guillain Barre. So Guillain Barre hits you one time, it hits you really hard, and it um, and then after you start taking the treatments, um, it goes away. Uh, the chronic version just keeps hitting you and hitting you and hitting you. There is a chance to go into remission, but it's it's pretty rare. Um, so I do uh, the infusions every, um, every every two weeks. We were doing it every month, and then we had to scale back to every three weeks. We were having flare-ups, and then every two weeks. Um, but, yeah, uh, I think um, it, you start losing um, – muscle tone, all those things. But the problem with me was my spinal cord injury was covering up the symptoms because it it starts in the extremities. So feet and hands started getting the pain and everything a lot before. And when I was getting the pain and it was triggering uh, autonomic dysreflexia, um, I was treating spinal cord injury things instead of, you know, um, just doing the Marcos, do they know if the two are related at all, the spinal cord injury and the gambre? So um, I, I don't believe they are related because um, so, so Don has the men's, uh, the men's group um, that we all go to. And um, I've gotten a lot from that group. So when I first got diagnosed, the first thing I started looking for was peer support, right? Um, I'm a big believer in peer support. Um, and, uh, I still till this day cannot find a, a person, uh, with quadriplegia that also has CIDP. So um, the numbers just aren't there. So like, did the, did you go there with issues and they somehow, I mean, how did they figure that out? So, um, what was happening was I was already losing weight for a little over, no, it's, it's close to two years. Before I got diagnosed, I was losing weight for about two years, just gradually. It, it, it wasn't as fast as it was in the last year. Um, and then I started getting really bad ringing in the ears, more pain. Um, and then I started um, having emotional issues, which I'm not 
I'm not prone to depression or things of that sort. When it got really bad was when I started being scared to be by myself. That was totally unlike me because I love being by myself. Like this quarantine stuff, you've been seeing my post. I... I'm taking the virus seriously. The quarantine stuff is a joke to me because we're masters at this. We've been at this for a while, right? So, uh, yeah. Um, so when I started um, getting those things, then I started noticing what my routine in the morning is when I get up and I start getting ready, I have this really big mug of coffee. Well, about three days in a row, I dropped it. And... Um, and then after that, um, I started noticing that my fingers were, were bending in a weird way. Now I know that my ulnar nerve and my arm and my hand were being affected. Um, so it was making my, um, my ring finger kind of twist inward. I was the only one that noticed it because I'm the only one that looks at my fingers all the time, right? Um, and then... Uh, I was having trouble breathing, so it was starting to affect my breathing. It was starting to affect my the way I talked. My voice changed. Um, I was having to take a lot more breaths when I was um, doing sentences. Um, I uh, oh, and then I started losing sensation. Oh, that wow. scared the hell out of me. Um, so I went to the hospital on a Monday because my arms were hurting ad and uh, so i went and they um they were like oh you know your elbows on your wheelchair you know do you use them a lot and i was like oh yeah a lot that's why i have them this way and they're like oh well you probably injured your ulnar nerve on your arms and that's why your arms hurt okay um i had to go back that thursday or friday they did an mmo because i was losing sensation um and i started losing sensation of my neck on the sides and uh, I went in they did an MRI which I hadn't done since I first had my injury um, and I forgot how loud those things were man uh, uh, um, and then um, and they said that I had a, a slip disc and they had um, referred me to a doctor a neurologist well what's funny is my PCP had already had already um, uh, referred me to that same neurologist, which is crazy because doctors never agree on on the same thing. Um, so I was like, okay, I was feeling good about it. I went in, we did the initial one, we did um, uh, the EMGs of the extremities. Um, we did a spinal tap and a couple weeks later I was um, diagnosed. So actually I was very happy when I was diagnosed because I was in the dark. Yeah, you figured it out, right? Like that stuff sucks. Yeah, Sounds like yeah, all that yeah. stuff. So I, I mean, I have some of that stuff too, I feel like, but yeah. when you were saying all that stuff, I was kind of like, wait a second, do I got that too? Uh, oh, everybody's <laughs> like that. When you start, I, I started, you know, throwing symptoms out there and they start getting like, oh, sh oh yeah. no, it's happening. <laughs> yeah. So you're having to be really careful with this autoimmune disease, uh, disorder for, uh, for what's going on right now then. The pandemic, yeah. Like I mean, I am, I'm, I'm always very careful. Um, I'm not taking things lightly and I'm, I'm making sure I social distance and I just, I'm not driving around. I just got my van, you know, I, I go off for drives to kind of clear my head, but um, I'm not using it to go to meetings or 
you know, um, I had a bunch of things set up that I was going to do. Um, I had a, I cleared my schedule. The only thing I'm doing now is um, my Zoom classes, um, you know, things like that. But um, for, as far as the autoimmune goes, I think everybody else is a little bit more scared for me than I am scared for myself. But that has a little bit more to do with the fact that I'm kind of comfortable with my mortality. I've come to terms with it throughout the years. I feel good about where I'm at with my family and my friends and my community. Um, so obviously I don't want, I don't want to leave the party yet. Right. right. Uh, but, um, I, uh, I came to terms with it years ago. So I, I think that's where my mind is at. Um, you know, I, I want to enjoy the people around me for as long as I can, but, um, when I'm ready to go, I think I'm, I think I'm comfortable. Down, you got anything you want to? Or you want me to get right into the opiate stuff? Uh, I just uh, I find it a little ironic that uh, that you have to be inside right after you uh, get your driver's license and get your vehicle after all these years. But, well, <laughs> you gotta stay home. Right. I did a video yesterday, and I was like, "Look, I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you guys what I had planned for my 2020." And I'm going to list it and I'm going to bitch about it. And then I'm not going to revisit it again. So I thought the video was going to be like five minutes long. It ended up being like 15 minutes long. Uh, That's quite a list. Yeah. And then afterwards, I was like, oh, damn, I forgot. I also wanted to go to the Dodgers uh, uh, home opener in Los Angeles because I've never been to a, to a game in Los Angeles before. Um, like, so it's just like, you know, I, there's, there's things I was going to do for – for advocacy and there's just things I was going to do for pleasure. Um, and now they're kind of both out the window for the time being, but I, I really, I, the one that bummed me out was my California road trip. Oh, that's, that's, yeah, that's tough. Yeah, but it'll, it'll give me another year to get my stamina up so I could actually drive it. There you go. Yeah. Sean, are you um, going to still go to Michigan or not? Y yeah, we're going to go. Uh, hopefully, you know, all, all this stuff, all this stuff will, will be gone in a couple of weeks, you know, I mean, that's the hope. And then we'll go in uh, end of May, early beginning of June, probably somewhere yeah. around that. Um, uh, you know, I, I feel the same way. I mean, I, I think Marcos, I think we all have some of the kind of the same feelings You know, we talked about this last week uh, together, you know, it, it can be tough on, um, you know, this kind of situation can be tough if you're not necessarily mentally prepared for it. Mm -hmm. um, but we've been, like you said, we've been preparing for this thing for a long time, <laughs> you know, um, but yeah. you can still get, you can still get down, you know I mean? I think, yeah. you know, yeah. what are some of the things you're doing maybe to not get down and not feel like, uh, you know, you're, you're trapped and all those kind of things. You, well, you know what? Um, I, you guys, you can obviously, and you could probably see it on my post on my Facebook is I hold back a little bit, but, um, I have a dark sense of humor and my dark sense of humor gets me through dark times. Um, so I, I tell people, you know, follow at your own peril. Um, but I also try to be conscious of others. So with my advocacy work, it helped me get through the hardest time of my life, which was the last couple of years. Um, because I was able to concentrate my energies on helping somebody else instead of how shitty I was feeling at the time. Yeah. So I, 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 
I try to concentrate on, on other people. Like, what does my community need? What can I help with? What can I, where can I be effective? And then I try to do that and it, and it does, it fuels me for, for at least a day or the next couple hours, the next couple seconds or something. Speaking of your community, and I know just, this is just one of your many communities, but the Spanish speaking uh, community of spinal cord, uh, people with spinal cord injuries, are you still doing a Spanish speaking men's group or is there some way we can reach so, out to that group as well? I want to start um, uh, seeing if we can do some of these classes because a lot, um, like two of the mentees that I had were, um, one was in a nursing home and the other one was at home and couldn't leave um, essentially because transportation and where he lived and stuff. Um, so I think even if we weren't going through this, this, this would have actually been something that would have been effective for us. So yeah, and I want to, that, that was one of the things is I wanted to really get that meeting going this year because I was going to be able to go to people's houses and, you know, talk to them. And, um, you know, especially Don, you, you know, that a lot of this has to do with speaking to the families, especially in Spanish speaking households. You want to, um, I remember my parents, luckily my dad is English speaking, but my mom was lost. And, I mean, she was lost anyways. Her son was, you know, going through something very difficult, but, uh, on top of that, the language barrier, um, the cultural barrier, you know, things of that sort. Um, hey, uh, we probably have to get into talking a little bit about the opiate stuff. Yeah. So when you, um, you know, when you got in your accident, I mean, did they put you on opiate painkillers immediately? Um, how, how did your relationship with opiates maybe start? Um, let me see. So when I first had my injury, um, they did have me, you know, they would give me my pain medication on a fixed schedule, regardless of if I asked for it or not. Regardless. Regardless. And if I asked for it, they would give me more. And if I said I had, you know, oh, I'm having a phantom pain, my leg hurts, they'd try to give me more. Well, like I've explained to people, um, Substance abuse is something that runs in my family, and it's done irreparable damage in, in many different situations. Um, so it's just something I don't take lightly. Um, you guys can tell that I tend to like to talk, and I don't like to not have mental clarity there. So opiates has never really been my jam, but it's always been the thing that facilitates me being able to be in the community. And now with driving, and I always look back at the day that I had my accident, I had my best friend in the car with me. If my actions would have caused damage to somebody else, that would have been something I wouldn't have handled well. The fact that I only have me to blame um, makes it a little bit easier. So now that I'm driving, I also have to be cognizant of the fact that I'm on the road with other people and balancing my pain and balancing my independence aren't mutually exclusive. They're, they, you know, we have to maneuver them together. So, you know, you also have to be aware that there's uh, other people on the road and in this world other than you. So did you start, um, you know, maybe like taking like what, pain medication? Like yeah, well, I'm lucky. Um, so for a couple years, well, for about 
three years or so, I was living in nursing homes. So the medication was minimal if I was there. And dr I liked to drink a lot. I liked to drink a lot. Um, so I did, I, you know, Jimi Hendrix, I don't want to end up like, like homie, right? Uh, so I don't ever mix the two. And if I take one and later on, I'm like, oh, you know, I want to, um, you know, have a beer or something. I make sure that I'm not, that it, I took it, you know, six hours before. Actually, my medication, I'm very lucky that I've been on oxycodone 5-325 for, since I first had my injury. My dose only started to go up since about two years ago. Um, and it's more so that I can have a little bit of wiggle room between um, my field dates. Now, for years, I would go months without filling my, my, my monthly uh, allotment of uh, medication. And the last about three or so years, I started noticing that at the end of the month, it was, I was cutting a little bit closer and closer. So um, we raised it to a good level. We've been able to keep it at that, um, but I, 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 I treat them like the plague, so because I know the damage they can do. But they're the way I look at them is they're a tool. You know, it's it's something that's going to help, and it's not going to work for everybody. I think it's amazing that there's people out there that only use cannabis. Hey, you know what? That that'd be great if that worked for every single body. Uh, not everybody, but every single body. Um, because our bodies are physiologically different, right? So I use both, and but the latter I only use at night. So- Is that to help with spasticity or, or um, sleeping? I was having a really hard time sleeping and I didn't want to up my sleeping medication. Um, so, one night while we were still, one day when we were still trying to figure out what was going on, um, I said, well, actually I didn't smoke since like high school um, because I have children and I remember growing up, one of the first smells that I can remember is the smell of cannabis. And I just, I don't see anything wrong with it. I've never seen anything wrong with it. Um, but society has made it so, and it just, it was difficult to to have children uh, thinking that their father was, you know, using drugs or illegal drugs and this and that. Now my kids are 18, 20, and 22, so they're a lot cooler <laughs> with it than I am. <laughs> oh yeah, this this is uh, this is all filtered. <laughs> <laughs> when when you talk about. Um you know, addiction has run in your family, right? Um, when you, when you see, have seen the, you know, the negatives of, of addiction, right? I mean, you said it, your family has struggled with it. You, you may have struggled with it a little bit. Um, did that help you kind of understand that help you kind of understand that you didn't want to do it? That you didn't want to get yourself in that situation. It, it looked really fun for them. It looked, really awful for the rest of us and I love my family and I love my kids and I love my community and I never wanted them to feel the way that we felt and it was just that simple 
That's awesome. I mean, I know, yeah. you know, for some, for some people, you know, that, that, that the kind of thought doesn't go through their mind, you know, like they don't even consider that it's, it's more about, you know, starting to get rid of pain. And then once you figure out how good it feels, you know, you continue to use and use and use yeah. and use and you don't even realize who you're hurting, you know? And, and the thing is, it would have been very easy for me and society would have probably forgiven us for going down that hole, right? Because they can't imagine a life where we can um, strive like this, where we can thrive like this. So um, I, you kind of have to make those decisions for yourself is, you know, where do I want to be later on? And, um, you know, I grew up on the border. Uh, it's a lot different on that other side than it is over here. Um, you know, and I've seen family members get drugged forcefully into rehab, which is something that doesn't happen here in the States. Um, and uh, it was just, it's just not something I, I want to put people that I say that I love through because then it doesn't, it doesn't carry the same weight. All right. Now, so this is a, so right now you're on a maintenance dose. So you got a, a low maintenance dose that you were on. They just upped it a little while ago, um, like yeah. a year or so ago, right? And then, yeah. and then you've been doing that. And then um, you've had, uh, you smoke cannabis for sleeping at night because you're, you're, it's hard to turn off your, your mind, right? Yeah. Okay. So, uh, yeah, uh, right when I try to go to sleep at night, everything starts popping up right bills yep. and you know every cartoon you've ever watched and <laughs> that one time you stepped on a penny and you remembered the year i don't know like why but it's right when i'm gonna go to sleep but um yeah and i was losing weight and i needed to get my hunger back um and oh, that wow. yeah that which that'll do it oddly enough yeah. is why i <laughs> is why i stopped smoking in high school because remember i brought up fat marcos before Fat Marcos likes to eat, and Fat Marcos on cannabis really likes to eat. So, uh, I was like, hey, you know what? I need to put some more meat on these bones. Um, and uh, I mean, you guys can attest. I was looking, I was looking see-through for a while. I was, I was gray. I was very malnourished. Um, I, I have some days when I'm better and some worse. But um, yeah, I mean, it's it's a balance, and it's it's difficult to navigate the pain management system while using cannabis. Um, so I think that's been my biggest struggle. Um, I, I've, in my 19 years, I've only gone to the hospital and asked for pain medication one time. And it was because of an issue with the, the, the pain management clinics. So. Uh, can you say the issue with the pain management class? What, what do you mean? Like you couldn't get your medication when you needed it? Yeah, most of them uh, try to say that they're following CDC guidelines. CDC sure. guidelines don't don't uh, distinguish that. They did for a minute years ago, and then they overturned it a couple years ago. And uh, I think I think that's the response of the medical community too, because there's been such a backlash on overdosing and and just the yeah. opiate epidemic. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, crisis that's going on. The uh, what they're doing is they're under they're underdosing. It seems to me because it, um, I've talked with a couple of people that they're just getting a lot less and they're not being given more like they used to. 
In fact, yeah. Sean, Sean, you had mentioned that a couple times in our talks too, have you? Yeah, you know, I mean, for me, uh, they kind of so you put me on a super high dose, and then they were like, "Oh, wait, we got to reel you back," and yeah. and it's it's so hard to do, right? I mean, it's like, what do you mean you got to reel me back? Like, you can't throw me out there like that and put me on oxycotton thirties three times a day like you can't do that and then say okay we're gonna bring you down to 10 what like yeah. no yeah you can't yeah, yeah. You know i mean it's, it doesn't work and, and then, then not to mention the times you have to go get them right i mean you have to go when i was on those we'd have to go every week i have to go every friday and pick up a new prescription for the week so it's like man like how do people who don't have cars right like you don't have a car you don't you know, you're not as maybe independent as, as some of us are, like maybe you and I, Marcos and Don, like, we, you know, we all drive, we all do things like, right. But not everybody's that independent. Not everybody can, can make all that stuff. So, you know, they, they put these guidelines in and they make these rules, but they don't necessarily think about who those rules are going to affect generally. And, and another thing kind of piggybacking off of that is when, when you have to go on missions to go get your drugs, right? You start feeling like you're a criminal. And as a person from a low income, you know, minority community, you keep making people feel like they're criminals and they're going to start believing it after a while. And then you start getting the shame and the isolation, depression, all those things. And it comes from you not treating your patients like human beings. Um, Question for you. Have you looked into like alternatives you know acupuncture yoga meditation any of that sort of stuff so i i meditate um i i come yeah, off you of, told us you smoke weed yeah yeah i smoke weed and watch cartoons that's that's my <laughs> uh, as far as uh, my meditation goes my meditation is, uh, is you know I, I don't you know go sit in my backyard and um, but, um, uh, I like to tell people that I was raised by hippies <laughs> because I do have a very hippie side. Um, it's just, you know, you can't tell from here. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, you know, I meditate, I like nature. Um, one of the things that I was really excited about, um, with the, with my van was being able to, you know, go and take drives out, like. Uh, last night, if my girlfriend wasn't working, we would have gone out to the desert to, you know, look at the pink moon or whatever it was. It was last night. Um, Super. Yeah, I, uh, you know, I, I, uh, I like things like that. So, um, I, I do a lot of self-reflection. Uh, you know, I do forms of meditation without actually, you know, thinking that it's meditation. Um, I won't do acupuncture because, oddly enough, I'm scared of needles. Okay. So yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, there's a lot of theory behind my needles, though. I think uh, I think a nurse in Mexico when I was little must have scared the crap out of me because yeah, all I had to do is like see them with the syringe and I, I start feeling like anxious. Oh really? Yeah. Um, Marcos, uh, can I ask something? Uh, you know, it sounds like with this maintenance uh, level you're doing, you you have everything um, worked out and pretty well under control. Um, but there are some people out there that um, maybe finally do lose kind of control of where they are with opioid use. Um, what would you say, how would you say you would recognize that if you were using too much and what would your um, 
what would you tell people to do? What would your advice be for people seeking help that maybe feel like they've, they've gone too far with opioids? So I would say it is a very, very, very difficult situation for you to pull yourself out of. You need to, you need to find someone who's been in the hole to help get you out. Um, there's a parable that I've heard about it. Of, you know, we've all heard it in different versions of somebody who falls in the hole and then a priest comes and a doctor comes and a lawyer comes and then finally, you know, a person with paralysis or a person with addiction comes and they help you out because they've been in the hole before. And that's why I believe in peer mentoring. That's why I believe in these peer support groups is because nobody can help get you out like somebody who's already been there. So I would say find a 12-step program. Um, Narcotics Anonymous, um, I've heard really good things about. Um, I've had family members who have gone through that program and, you know, 17 years later, they still haven't touched a drop of alcohol or, you know, and it, you know understand that your opiate addiction is going to be different than somebody else's that doesn't have paralysis. Uh, you're still going to have to deal with your pain and you're going to have to manage it while having a monkey riding your back all the time, telling you to take two instead of one, telling you to take four instead of two and escalating. And then at the end of the month, you know, you're short and you just, you don't want to relive those things over and over again. Um, yeah. So, and you know, there's alternative medicines. If you, you know, and you have to accept that, like, I accept even without ever having, you know, woken up in a gutter that, that that lives in me. It's in my blood. It's in my genes. It's something that I was gifted before I was born. And it wasn't my, it wasn't my doing, but now it's my responsibility. So, you know, I, uh, I used to nurture him a lot more. And now I just, you know. I've gone to a comfortable part of my in my life where I can ignore him. That's good. I mean, it's a, it's a good thing to be able to do. It's a very difficult thing to be able to do. You know, I I applaud you on being able to do that. Uh, that's something I couldn't do. Well, it, you know what? It, it 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 took a lot of it took a lot of humility to be able to, you know, it, I'm I'm very protective of the people I love. So when I say things like there, you know, I have addiction in my family. I don't say it in a bad way. I say it because it's a truth. And if there's somebody out there who, you know, we already have shame associated with just our spinal cord injury alone. We don't need the, uh, the shame of addiction to also write us because like I said, that, that brings depression and isolation and, you know, not caring about your um, hygiene or or weight shifting or all those things that we should be doing as, you know, responsible people with paralysis. Um, but, you know, something as, as simple and as complex as addiction will, will throw you for a loop. Absolutely. I mean, it change, it'll change everything you do and how you do it. And, and I, I remember being to points in my, in my addiction where, you know, you're taking so much, you don't even really realize like what's going on. Right. Like you can, you feel like you know and you understand everything, but you don't. You, know, you really don't have a clue. You, you're out here not weight shifting, things of the sort like that. You know what I mean? Those kind of things are big deals for us. Yes. And if you're not doing those, 
right. and the next thing you know, you're at a pressure sore and you end up in the hospital. Yeah. You know, like, I, I, lost, hospital. Uh, I lost one of my best friends from addiction when I, uh, when I first moved out of, um, of the clinic I was living in. Um, and um, he was my roommate in the clinic. He was a higher level spinal cord injury. We moved out about the same time. And just because of transportation issues, we didn't see each other that much. And one day his sister called me and told me that he had died from a heroin overdose. And, uh, you know, and it was like, I remember him, you know, a couple months before, he wasn't doing heroin while he was there, but he was on a lot of Dilaudid. He was on a lot of, you know, um, uh, Percocets, uh, Valium, he had patches, you know, he, he suffered a lot with, through his pain. And, uh, and he had that monkey on his back from before his injury. So he nurtured it a little too much. And that along with other things that were happening in my life at the time, you know, seeing my children, I was like, you know what, this, this I am definitely not going down that road. So. That's good. That's a good thing. Well, uh, we were running close to the end of our time here. So we'll probably have to wind it up a little bit. Is there uh I don't know if there's anything else you guys want to ask Don. Is there something that you wanted to ask him about the opiate stuff or opiate opioids? Um, I just want to thank you for being so open and, and honest with us yeah. and sharing your story because it, it you know it can really help other people. Um, this whole conversation started basically because uh, we've seen some of our community members go down that hole and, and have some serious issues. And even um, one, of, one of my friends as well died from uh, the opiate thing. So um, just thank you for being here. And we're gonna continue to work on gathering more resources and making those available through the Arizona Spinal Cord Injury Association. So um, Eric, if you wanna just wrap it up with telling where we're at with that, um, that would be Oh, actually, before you guys wrap it up, if I can just uh, throw something else in here. Uh, if we do have friends or family who do end up falling down the hole of addiction, um, I would say do your best to try to forgive them uh, because the, the shame associated with it will only make it worse. And, you know, not having your community and your friends there to help elevate you is uh is only going to make things exponentially worse so this conversation is is a great start um on that note um just to let you know what we're doing on our side at the arizona spinal cord injury um we're changing the conversation um a lot of people who want to seek that support that want to get into rehab and have a complex um disability um, with chronic pain and stuff like that. Um, what they would do is they would just, the conversation was, oh yeah, go to skilled nursing. Well, we're changing that conversation. We're actually getting in touch with some of the uh, local community, local treatment centers around here, inpatient and, and outpatient treatment centers, to have a better understanding of what we're dealing with here and to be a little more compassionate and willing to work with someone who has a complex disability to be able to get the support in, in, in groups and through counseling because uh, so anyways if you go to our website at azspinal.org 
um, and you look through our resources and we have a specific link for opiates, opiate recovery and treatment and stuff like that, it lists some of our resources that we have there. So um, we're really trying to change that uh, um, on our side to provide better community support with this because we're finding a lot of people, Marcos, you had to go through this alone, right? You had, you had to, you had to make this journey on your own with some, some mentor support, but on your own, correct? Okay. So this is, this is what we're trying to change. We're trying to actually find a way to get additional support so that you don't have to be alone when you're doing this so that you can have that type of support that you need or whoever. I'm not saying that, you know, you did a wonderful job. I'm, I think it's fantastic. You are where you are. I'm just saying it would, it would, I think it would benefit a lot of people to have that additional support. So, yeah, yeah I mean, that's something I wish I had, I, you know, I, I would have had, or, or I would have been able to find, I guess, I mean, I'm sure it was out there, but uh, you know, when I was dealing with that stuff, it's something I definitely wish I had. I wish I had had somebody there to be able to kind of coach me and tell me some of the things that I shouldn't do. Right. Like to be able to say, Hey, look, you're on a manageable dose right now. Like Marcos is saying, stay on that manageable dose. Don't take two. it. Look, you learn to live with what the pain that you have at that point. And yep. if you can do that, then it will be a lot easier. You know, for me, it was just straight blast off, you know, like, I mean, as soon as I got on them, it was, whoa. they were like, Oh, okay, we'll put you on this and this and this and this. And I'm like, all right, give me more, give me more. Yeah. 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 Good idea. Good idea. And it was blast off, you know, like it was there was rocket a time shit. when doctors were just handing them out like animal. Yeah, they were like candy. Yeah. Yeah, I remember there's there's no I won't say his name, but there's a pretty famous uh, um, pain management doctor in West Phoenix, and you know I had gone in to fill my script, and he was like, "Do you want any Valium and any this and that for this kind of pain and this?" And I was like, "No, no, 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 no," and I was very lucky that I said no. And I didn't say no in like, uh, oh, no, I don't want them. I, just, I don't need them. But at the time, as a 19-year-old kid, you know, getting that amount of opiates, yeah. I can't imagine a doctor trying to give that to my kids. I would lose it. Yep. Well, and, and, They do, man. They do it. They do it to all of us. Yeah, I mean, it, and it takes that. It takes somebody like you or, or me or Don or Eric to be like, look, you don't that's not, that's not the answer. It's not going to be the answer because it may be the short-term answer for you, but it's going to be a long-term disaster. Yeah. Yeah. That's you know? a great way. That's a great way to put it. Um, yeah. So I would, I would also uh, encourage you to look at um, John Kabat-Zinn for meditation he has a specific type of meditation to deal with chronic pain. So if you're interested in looking at that, there are many types of ways to meditate. And this one specifically is to help the mind wrap around chronic pain and remap itself. And it does have, it has some success. It doesn't help everyone, but it, it can help some people. I think it's just like a 40% success rate on that. So I would look into it though. Um, it's, 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 uh, it's helped people. So. Yeah. And for me, it was most, I, I did a lot of the, the step programs like you were talking about and a lot of the, uh, you know, mentoring and, and going to talk to people in groups that really was the, the best for me is the, is the group 
group talks, you know, when you go and sit in those groups and you start realizing how many lives this is really destroying, you start to, you start to grasp, grasp a hold of the fact that you're destroying your life and other people around you too. You know I mean? That's something that you talked about earlier and, and it's great. I, I'm so happy that you brought it up and you actually like realized it from the beginning. You know, it took, took me a long time to realize that that I was hurting other people in the process of what I was doing. Well, my thing was, I, I was kind of scared that I was going to like opiates the way I liked alcohol. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and it's just, you're, you're just going to find the thing that you enjoy and you're going to overwhelm and overindulge yourself. And, yeah. and I saw what opiates did to people in my community. And it started with alcohol and I was already at the alcohol phase and now being handed this stuff, you know, freely. Yeah. It wasn't going to turn out well. Um, also just to let, (laughs) just to let our listeners know. Um, so I, I'm one of the case managers at the organization. So if you ever want to call and you know, you just want to talk and you know, I, I can forward you on to some resources, the number again is 602-507-4209. So. All right. Well, cool, man. Well, hey, we appreciate it. We appreciate your time, Marcos. It was uh, it was good to talk to you. Uh, you know, I talk to you a lot. Yeah. And Don talks to you a lot. But everybody else finally get to hear from you, and, and it's fantastic. I think you're doing a great job, number one. And number two, you, you know, you can, you, can, you can inspire a lot of people. So keep doing that mentoring stuff, man. It's a big deal. It really is it's a big deal for everybody who who you touch and everybody who you talk to, you know. So keep it up, man. We appreciate it, Don, Eric. Love you guys. Man. Thank you so much for all this great advice. Good stuff, guys. Thank you. Have a great day. All right, peace, peace out, Joe.